Welcome to Robin Wesleyan Church Online. My name is Brock. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're with us. Uh, just one real quick thing. Uh, this Christmas Eve, Saturday, we have two services here in the building at 2 and 4 p.m., and we would love for you to join us. Uh, but with that, let's get into our service. God has great things for us, and he's coming soon. We have been privileged over the years to be with Tom and Cheryl, and when God called them to this ministry, I don't know if you had any idea what God was getting you into, and I know that it's a heavy load that they bear. They've gone to Peru, Zambia, and Uganda. I think, I think I read last year that it was your 37th trip to Uganda or Zambia, one or the other, and that's just Uganda, not the Zambia and, and Peru. And so Tom and Cheryl Martin, they've been part of our congregation. Uh, they travel in, in just loving people in the name of Jesus and helping cope through hope. They, they formed that. And we support them, and we're really proud of them. So why don't we welcome Tom and Cheryl. Um, thank you. Uh, Cheryl wanted to sort of sit this morning, and that's okay. Um, I want to thank you for asking us. I thought one week before Christmas and one day before my birthday. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old I am. You're going to have to figure it out. Um, I, I never know exactly what I'm going to say, but uh, usually I, I'm up here with no notes at all. I've got three pages today, so uh, I, better, I better look at the clock. Um, when I was 13 years old, 62 years ago, uh, <laughs> um, we went to church, the Standard Church in Kingston, Ontario, and a, a lady there who I respected a lot because she used to take my mother to church, because my father really never went to church, my mother didn't drive and take me to Sunday school, she asked if I would read a book and report it to the Women's Missionary Society. I did. The book was called Through Gates of Splendor. It was about the uh, missionaries that were murdered by the Aka Indians in Ecuador, and that put the seed of missions in my heart uh, when I was 13, 62 years ago tomorrow. <laughs> Um, and again, I don't want to tell you my age, but, um, but that seed never left me. It took about 45 years for that seed to germinate, but um, anyway, uh, God took me through. I knew at that time I wanted to be a missionary. I knew I wanted to be a teacher as well. It's interesting looking at seeing some older people here. I'm not sure why they get older, but some of my students uh, many years ago, Rob, and Trevor, not too many years ago, and, and some others as well. Um, but I thought, we started, when I started teaching at Odessa Public School in 1971, I thought I'd be, we started going to the Free Methodist Church, and I thought I'd be a missionary with the Free Methodist Church for many years. 1999, in October, we started coming to Robin, the old church, and um, I thought then maybe I'd be a missionary with the, the Wesleyan Church. And, uh, we went, uh, we started in 1999, the year 2000, Mission 2000 with the Wesleyan Church. We had a, a fairly good-sized band, and we drove down to Greenville, North Carolina with Pastor Bert and Don Vade Armstrong and her friend, I think it was Lois McKnight, Cheryl and I spent day, a few days in the mission office there, the room they had set aside, wondering where God would use us and where he'd put us and so on. And... Um, I thought then for maybe I'd be a, a missionary with the, the Wesleyan Church, but it didn't quite work out that way. And, and I had one more year of teaching. I retired in 2001. I loved teaching. I loved the kids. I loved what I was teaching, but I knew God had another career for me. And I'm thinking, you know, I was 31 years teaching. I've got 10 more years to go to put 31 years in as a missionary. So um, I think uh, a guy can do that. Um, in the, in the fall of 2001, when we first retired, we went to Hepzibah Children's Home and volunteered there for two weeks. The second day we were there, the director asked if Cheryl and I would go and be full-time missionaries with Hepzibah, which is associated with the Wesleyan Church. We prayed about it and fasted for a week, and we decided we would. So we went down, 2002, we went to Hepzibah Children's Home in Macon, Georgia. But we didn't feel that was really where God wanted us. I didn't think the United States was, you know, a, a country where, you know, they necessarily needed missionaries, but they did. Um, and God put on our heart to, to try something else. So we just punched into the computer, retired teacher, retired nurse, who wants us? 
and different organizations got back, but uh, Kids Alive uh, out of Cambridge, Ontario got back to us and said, we could use you either in Lima, Peru, or Nairobi, Kenya. We said, it's up to you, God, wherever. We ended up in Lima, Peru, and uh, in a children's home there and, and for 2003, 2004. While we were in Lima, Peru, we had our first mission trip, we, uh, mission group. We hosted our first mission group. It was a, a great group, Pastor Bert, um, Jake and Terry Dupuis, Anna Coburn, and her sister, Elrina. And there's a couple uh, memories from that that uh, I, uh, great memories. One was Pastor Bert <coughs> playing his trumpet in the Wesleyan Church in downtown Lima, Peru. And Lima's a city of over 10 million people and so on. The second one is, uh, at that time, we were working one night a week with another group with the street children of Lima, Peru. The, probably the, the worst desperate situation you can get. But as we went down there and we took the group down there and as we were there and uh, <coughs> the first young boy came across the street with his hand, his, his hand underneath his sweater or his shirt and uh, Terry Dupuy said, what, why does he have his hand on his shirt? And I said, well, that's his little bag of glue. But every 15 minutes, they sniff their glue because they're pretty well all on glue. And um, uh, after it was over for the two hours and, and we had a, uh, Bible stories with them, sang courses with them, and uh, spoke to them about Jesus and how God, Jesus loved them and so on and gave them a bit to eat. And after we were on our way back, I said to I was in the, the taxi with Jake and Terry, and I said, you know, what was your, what did you think of that? And Terry Dupuis said, when I saw the first boy come across the street, she said, I, <laughs> I started to cry. And she said, the rest of the night for two hours, I I, she said, I started to cry on the outside. And she said, for the next two hours, I cried on the inside. And I thought that was a, a, amazing. So, but anyway, in 2004, we started thinking maybe God would have us go to Peru. So we applied to the Wesleyan Church, the World Hope. I, I, God would want us to go to somewhere to Africa. Uh, we applied to the Wesleyan Church and World Hope, and, and they said we could use you in either Namibia or Zambia. And then we drove down to Virginia, almost Washington, D.C., and talked to Joanne Lyon and, and the people there. And they said we could use you in Zambia. And then they said, we want you to teach high school. And I said, no. And, and they said, why? And I said, my, I love teaching. I love students. And, but I said, my heart is really with the kids out under a tree that can't go to school. So they, that took us to Zambia. And actually, Jake and Terry Dupuis came to visit us there as well. And uh, so that took us to Zambia. And I did teach school there. It was an amazing experience. And then we went from there to Uganda because we had met a pastor from, uh, from Uganda. And, but while I was in Zambia with World Hope at the Wesleyan Church original mission there, God really spoke to me in a clear way and he said, I want you to go back to Canada, start your own ministry. I've shown you uh, enough. Uh, you can do it in this way. And, and my, God said, it, you know, that's a, a way, uh, maybe a better way you can... Uh, uh, work with the people and so on. So I came back to Canada, had a board, and I see some of our first board members there. It was a, a great board, but uh, Pastor Dusty was on it, and uh, Reverend Raymond Clatt, and Reverend McKnight, and Cale uh, Burns, uh, Dan and Heather, and some others. There were 14 actually, but we had a board meeting on June, we came back the end of April, board meeting on June the 11th, and by September, we were official registered charity with uh, working in Peru, Zambia, and Uganda. Our first, 2006 was is when we, our first, we went to Peru in 2005, actually in the fall, as Helping Cope Through Hope, then 2006 to Uganda. I just think there, the, the first group we really had as part of Helping Cope Through Hope was Derek and Deanne in 2006, and Gary and Denise McNamee. And you know how the, the, the re, remains are from that, and even I think of Pastor Bert when they came down, that, of that little Bible study group that we started. And Jake and Terry built tables for the kids. Remember Pastor Bert? And uh, some of those kids we're still working with, and, and their children now, and they've been through a lot. We've been through a lot with them, but many of them have finished college, university now. 
their, their teaching, their physiotherapists, and so on, that same little Bible study group. And they've, they've, their parents have become Christians and so on. It's, it's amazing. And then with Derek and Deanne, I remember Deanne. <laughs> I'm going a little uh, uh, fast here. But Derek and Deanne came, and uh, Deanne had some glasses. Amazing story there. But that ministry, we've got 10 suitcases to take uh, in two weeks. Well, I'm leaving in two weeks for, uh, for Uganda. But I, we've got 10 suitcases, nine of them packed already. And every one of those have glasses in it, except the only one isn't packed. I left one suitcase for Cheryl to bring her things. And, uh, <laughs> but but the, all of those nine have, have glasses in them. We've taken thousands and thousands of pairs of glasses. And I see somebody left a few in our mailbox today, which is, is great. So uh, <clears throat> we've, God put on our heart in Zambia in um, 2005 to start our own ministry, as I said. And <clears throat> there were three parts of that ministry. One, we would take people with us. We've had over 200 come in, uh, since then. Two, we work with all denominations, and, and we've spoken in churches of almost every denomination, including the Roman Catholic Church here. They raised money to build a school for us in Zambia. Um, the Anglican Church, Baptist, United Methodist in uh, Nevada, we've spoken at, the Free Methodist, Wesleyan Methodist, uh, Presbyterian, Salvation Army, Pentecostal, and, and so on. So God has been good in that way. So one, we work with all the denominations. Two, we take people with us. We've had over 200 people come with us, well over 200. And the third, we pay our own way. So Cheryl and I, uh, you know, we have our, our tickets for, we just got back two weeks ago from Peru, but um, we pay our own way, our own accommodation, our own food, and, and so on. Um, so God has blessed our, our ministry, and I'm, uh, again, I'm going fairly fast here, but um, when we first came back, the, the name that God gave me was Helping Cope Through Hope, and I thought as a teacher, I've never really heard the words cope and hope together. But when we came back, the church that year in 2005 was doing the 40 Days of Purpose, the Purpose Driven Life with uh, Rick Warren. And they were asking people to be part of a Bible study group and buy that book. So I, we, bought, we came back, bought the book, and I started reading it on page 32 at the top. And this is when God was really putting into my heart the name and so on. On page 32 of Rick Warren's book at the top, it said, Hope is as essential to life as air and water. People need hope to cope. And I thought, wow. And that was exactly what, what God had, had given me. But we're, since that time, um, Jim Dunneman was on our board for quite a while, and he used to laugh about it because when I, we, we applied to the government in 2005, um, they said, how much money do you be taking in in a, a year? And I, I said $10,000. And I looked now, we couldn't send, right, right now we've got probably 12 in university, college, and, and so on. We couldn't send three of them w for that money. It's expanded. Every year, it's, it's expanded. Even during COVID, it's, it's uh, I don't like to say because people might think it's bragging or whatever, but uh, God is, is, is amazing, as you know. Um, our ministry in Peru, we just got back from Peru, as I said. We have missionaries there. We, we pay them. They work for us. Karina and Javier, Pastor Bert met Karina. She was the accountant for Kids Alive when, we were, when they were there. But um, Karina, they have a Bible study. They had five Bible studies before COVID started. With COVID, it changed. Now they have two Bible studies, but they have a, an online Bible study, and they've got people on that from Peru, Chile, Colombia, and the United States. And so it, that's uh, worked out well. In... Um, Uganda is, is really our busiest work, and uh, we have a children's home there, five properties actually all together, and, and so on. We've built two schools in, in Zambia. We've put many, we've probably built 30 houses, and Rocco does a lot of our building or has in, in Peru for us, and uh, it's, it's amazing blessing to the, these are very, very poor people, and, and so on. Um, we, we have a farm in Zambia with a big church on it and uh, six fish ponds and, and people farming it and so on. 
Um, in Uganda, as I said, we, we've got the different properties with people living. We've got, uh, prob I think, uh, six houses where people live there, kind of rent-free and, and so on. Um, I want to just mention uh, a couple incidents that happened. And uh, it is a difficult ministry. And the reason it's difficult is because we're with the people all the time. We, we do everything with them. We, we, we laugh with them. We cry with them. We're in the hospital with them. We're at their, the funerals of, you know, 12-year-old Cynthia in Zambia. And, uh, you know, we, we're, we're with them all the time. It's a very, very personal ministry, and anybody that goes with us uh, knows that. We actually have, I think, four people going. We had four people go to Peru this year. Four are going to Uganda with us. We had 17 uh, 2019, just before COVID in Peru. 17 people came uh, with us. Um, I want to, even this week, every, every day I check my email and I never know what I'm going to get from those countries because there's a need there. This week, so, uh, Monday I got an email. A little girl that we've helped since uh, 2006, since we first started when Derek and Deanne were there, Juliet. She's actually albino, or mother and father are Ugandan, black Ugandans, and their brothers and sisters. But I got an email on Monday, uh, pray for Juliet, and we've been praying for her. She's 20 years old, but pray for Juliet, she's uh, vomiting blood. And Cheryl and I both said, because she has a, a stage four cancer, sarcoma, something sarcoma, when I was there in uh, September. And uh, so, anyway, Tuesday we got an email and said that... Um, Juliet had passed away, and, and so on. And you, you're dealing with that, and of course they need money, and, and so on. And on Wednesday, I, I kind of prepared for this, and I said I wasn't surprised. I got an email, and, the, and Annette that helps us there said, um, Juliet's mother, who we've helped a lot, she's actually living on a house that, on our unhealthy gold throat property there, but said, can you, please, she's asking for help. She's down on her knees begging for help, and said, you've helped the family so much, but can Juliet be buried on your land? Because they didn't have any, any place to bury her. And, and of course, I said yes, but I said, you know, put it near the house, don't put it out in the middle of where people are farming and so on. And, uh, and then they didn't have money for food for the people, money for coffin and, and all of that. So fortunate, people are very, really good. And we had three different people email back and said, yes, we'll help, wanna help Juliet's family and so on. So that was just this week, her burial was on Thursday. And, you know, and you're, you're dealing with that from a, from a distance. I just want to mention one, one example in, in uh, closing. Uh, but this is a, we were in Peru in, in November. And uh, November 6th, I got an email. And this is how we're with, with people. And, and a girl that we've helped named Precious in Zambia, the first time we went there, Sterling Fader Wolf went with us. And... Uh, they sponsored uh, this girl, Precious, and her family. But we were walking there that year, and it was really muddy and wet. And we got to the house of these two little girls, and it was Sterling and Faye's first time in, in uh, Zambia. They had been to Peru. But th they asked Faye to sit down, and, and the girls washed, <laughs> washed Faye's feet. And that did it for them. And Sterling and Faye started helping Precious and her sister right from them. But on... Um, we're in Peru, but November 6th, got an email from Precious. I have lost my daughter, Karen, in Botswana Hospital. We put, we put Precious through school. She's now a nurse. She got a job in Botswana. And just a few months ago, she said, can, can you please, I, I need money. I, I'd like to get a passport for my two girls, seven and eight, and bring them to Botswana with me. She said, it's not safe for them to be in by themselves in, in Zambia, and I know she's right, it isn't safe, because she really doesn't have a family there. So I said yes, so anyway, uh, her daughters were with her, but I got this email November 6th, I have lost my daughter Karen in Botswana Hospital, and I'm thinking, you know, why don't you go find her, even though I, I knew she must mean that, that, that her daughter had died. Um, and then on November 9th, um, day four really, here I have no one to help me. My life, I am stuck. I don't know where to start. My life is now useless because I'm facing a lot of problems. Last month, I did not get my salary because of COVID challenges. 
To make matters worse, I have lost my daughter, Karen, named after Karen DeWolf, uh, historian Faye's oldest daughter. And then on November 10th, she sent a picture of her, and I showed it to Cheryl, and we've known her since 2006, and Cheryl said, who is that? And I said, that's precious. But the, the pain on her face, it was unbelievable what she's going through. And you can imagine, her, her daughter has died four days before, or five days before, and, and she doesn't know what she's going to do. She doesn't have any money. November 11th, that's is day six. Please, Mr. Tom and Miss Cheryl, I have no one to help to bury my poor daughter. I have no permit, so the body is lying in Botswana mortuary. I have no family. It is not easy to lose my daughter. Please, please. And then later that day, she, she emailed, please. At, per night, they are charging at the mortuary. The more poor Karen is decaying, the more they are increasing the amount. Please, please. And I got two emails within six weeks. Of, one was the other girl, uh, Juliet. Can you please help? The body is decaying in the mortuary. And I thought, what's this? Amazing. Uh, November 17th, day 12. And we sent her money, but she wasn't able to collect it. The network was down with, with MoneyGram and so on. I do not know what to do now because by night they are charging me at the mortuary and it's causing me more pain in my heart. I have no one to help me. I don't know how I can bury my poor daughter, Karen. Please pray for me. I am in pain. November 19th, day 14. My poor daughter, Karen, is still lying in the mortuary. I am thinking about my daughter, and it pains me. November, the same day, I have no one to help me on my side. You are everything to me, my mother, my father, my sister, my brother. I am who I am today because of you. Please, do you know how it feels to lose someone you love most? Please, please. That's November 19th. Um, November, also on November 19th, this time around, I am facing a lot of challenges. I have to pay people to bury my daughter, and I have to pay people to dig the grave, and I have to buy a place where to bury my poor daughter. Please, it is painful here. I have no relatives to help me and transport from the mortuary to the graveyard. To make matters worse, per day they are charging me and I have to, have to buy a coffin. Also on November 19th, my only worry is that by night they are charging me. I'm so sorry that I'm troubling you. And I thought of all she's going through and she says she's sorry she's troubling me. Um, November 21, day 16, I don't I know what to do now because I am, I am failing to sleep or eat because of this problem. I will die soon. As you know, in my family, no one can help me out. Please, what can I do now to clear this problem? I am depressed. Hi, and the same day. Hi, Mr. Tom, Miss Sherry, sorry for troubling you. The thing is, I cannot go ahead because of the coffin. I need to buy a coffin. The mortuary is charging me every day, so the amount is increasing at the mortuary. I am stuck. To bury my poor daughter, I need to buy a coffin, a place to bury her. Transport, I need to pay people here. In Botswana, it's expensive to bury someone. November 22nd, day 17. This is a painful moment for me. Please, please. November 23rd, day 18. Mr. Tom, Miss Cheryl, I respect you as my parents. I am in a hard situation right now. At the mortuary, the bill is high because per night, day, they are charging me. I, um, I have to buy a coffin, a place to bury or transport mortuary payments and permit fees. I have to pay people to help me. The, I need your help right now and, and your prayers. November 29th, day 24. And finally, how are you doing, Mr. Tom, Ms. Cheryl, and Sterling and Faye? Thank you so much for helping me in my situation. It was not easy to, for me to bury my daughter, Karen, alone. I'm wishing you good health and happiness and many more years on earth. She was put to rest yesterday. So that was after 22 days. I am in sorrow and sadness and pain. I will never again have Karen in my life. Thanks. And then December 15th, just a few days ago, she emailed, my life is not good for me. Nothing is working out for me. I will just end my life. Um, and we emailed her back and said, you know, uh, precious, Jesus died for you, and, and God loves you, and, and Jesus loves you. We love you, and, and so on. And, and your little daughter is in heaven with, with Jesus. When I was uh, December 16th, when I was burying my poor daughter, Karen, Kalita, her other daughter, eight years old, was troubling me. She was saying, where, where is Karen? I have no answer to tell my daughter. Kalita, her other daughter, now was in the hospital fighting for her life. Um, so, so I don't know if she is going to survive or not. She is in pain right now. And then she emailed December, later December 16th, and I haven't heard from her, so I hope Karita is okay, her other daughter. 
Thanks a lot again for your help and support you have given me and for everything you have done for me. So, you know, we're, we are dealing with situations like this all the time. And I think the day before I got the email about uh, the girl in Uganda um, who was vomiting blood and, and then died, uh, Annette emailed and said, um, two people were sick and, you know, can you help, can we help them and, and so on. And then on the way to the burial last Thursday, another lady, uh, her two kids were in a motorcycle accident and they were hurt and you, can you help them and so on. So we do, we do a, a lot of medical. When we went to Peru this year, an, uh, Karina that helps us has a tumor on her back and had an operation while we were there and, and Cheryl was able to spend time with her and so on. But as you can see, these people all, we have over 170 sponsors now, but they're all, um, they're like our family. The, the, the children are like our family, our grandchildren. They calls Mr. Tom, Miss Cheryl, mom, dad, uh, whatever. Anyway, sorry to take your time, and there's a, a thousand think more stories and so on, but, uh, but God is good. We appreciate the support of the church here. There's some things on the table that we bring back, and then the money all goes back there. We're, we're blessed, but I am leaving in two weeks, and there's a lot to do when we get there. Uh, school fees to pay and, and so on. Thank you, Pastor Burton. Thanks for the church. Thank you so much, Tom. Can you see the heart in that? I know you can. Pastor Brock. Where's Pastor Brock? I don't see him. That's fine. I want to pray for Tom and Cheryl, pray for Precious. Heavenly Father, how can we not be moved when we hear how you are speaking into the lives of people that you love through a couple that have offered themselves to you in such a, a beautiful way? And I'm asking, God, that you would fill up Tom and Cheryl just abundantly, emotionally and spiritually and physically, and give them strength and energy and joy. It's been, uh, I'm sure, this ministry has become maybe so much more than they could ever have imagined, and I know it's heavy. I'm asking God that you would really help them and help us to hold up their hands in prayer and in giving, and may we see miracles that continue to take place, and we pray for precious and just the sadness and the grief and just the, uh, the futility that can so easily move into life. Bring the joy of your Holy Spirit, the hope of eternity to her, we pray. So God, bless this ministry and keep them safe in the new year as they travel on this next stint. So we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. It brought back lots of memories for me. I'm going to speak a brief message, and I, and, I, and I meant to do that before, Tom. That was perfect. That was absolutely perfect. Thank you for that. Um, I want to talk to you about a subject. You've just had the best illustration that I could ever give. I want to talk to you about love. I, I struggled a little bit as I thought about this because it seems so basic you know, it's sort of like the football team arrives and you go, okay, I want to show you what a football is. And they're like, oh, come on, show us something more. God, give us something really spectacular. But the most spectacular thing in our faith is love. And there's something about it that we can hardly drill deep enough before we can begin to really discover how absolutely vital and important it is. And we've, got, we've had a taste of that today. The love of God extended, the love through Tom and Cheryl in touching people like Jesus did. It's absolutely beautiful. I'm going to take you through some slides. I've given it to Chris. Appreciate that. In 1965, this popular song came about, and it's What the World Needs Now. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. Jackie DeShannon, she recorded it in April 15, 1965, written by uh, Burt Bacharach and, well, written by Hal David and arranged by Burt Bacharach. It became an, a crazy 
crazy song of popularity, even to this day. It was set in the background, of course. It was set against the, the whole Vietnam War and the controversies in the U.S. That was sort of the subtext of that song. And, uh, and, uh, and what the world needs now is love. And, and we know that. The, the problem is we're so confused about love. The, the challenge, in, and by the way, you, you do have a, a, in your bulletin, you do have a page. If you want, I've put the scriptures there. There's only a few blanks, but it's something you may just want to take home and use in your devotions to remind you of some of this. But there is a page there. In the, uh, an- the ancient Greeks, they knew that the word or that the concept of love was so deep and so broad, it took eight different words for them to describe what in English we have as one word. So what we do is we use adjectives to describe love. And yet they had individual words to come sort of to the depth. And I've, I've put them there on the sheet. I've put them here on the screen. You have era, sexual passion, philia, ludus, playful love, pragma, uh, philantia, storge, which is uh, familial love, family love, mania, obsessive love. But then we come to agape, their word agape, it was that selfless love, a selfless love for, for everyone. Oh, here they are. Thank you, Pastor Brock. Um, it was a selfless love for everyone. And uh, there's four of those words that are used in the New Testament. Phileia, eros, storge, and agape, by the way. So I'm going to read a scripture. And I would love for you to count the number of times that the word love is used. And by the way, this word love is the word agape, this selfless, unconditional love of God. It's used, well, I won't tell you how many times. You count. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. That's one. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse number 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. And then verse 16 And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. So the the word, every time that it's used, it's the word agape. How many times did you see love there? 16, somebody got 21. I think the 16ers got it. I had to count three times and I got 15 the first two times. But I think 16 wins it. 16 times he used it. And this is just this passage. It's used many more times throughout, throughout John. John, he captures the very essence of God. God is love. You think of John. He was called to be one of the, the apostles, called to follow, and one of the 12. And that three years of ministry, and he comes out of that. And and how do you sum up the life of Christ? Uh, Some of you have been watching, and maybe you've gone to see season three of The Chosen. And some of you maybe haven't gotten to season one. Such a beautiful portrayal of the Lord and and Christ. How do you sum up the life of Christ? Uh, The gospel message, what is it? And John sums it up like this. God is love. He watched Jesus. He he walked with him. He saw 
the selfless, agape, unconditional love of God that was displayed. And so 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. If you know God then, we had better learn to love. We had better allow this love to infiltrate our hearts and our minds. If we don't love, it says we don't know God. We haven't understood the heart of God. He says here, John, we know and rely on the love of God that he has for us. So we are held by love. We rely on love, and our faith is built on love. There was a theologian, I, I, I put his picture up here. It did look a little bit like Lewis there this morning. Brock was asking, it was C.S. Lewis. Uh, this is Karl Barth. Karl Barth was a theologian in the, in the, uh, the 20th century. He, was, um, he, he wrote so much. Uh, his 12-volume, 10,000 pages of systematic theology. Toward the end of his life, Karl uh, Barth made a tour in the United States, and he spoke at several top universities. And so he, at one of his Q&A times at the university, we're told that uh, he would go there for lectures, and students, of course, would ask questions. And uh, he had written on every aspect of theology. So one student stood up and said, Mr. Barth, um, if you could sum up in one sentence, now this is tough, now, in my mind, if he could have summed it up in one sentence and just published that, I might have skipped the 12 volumes. But anyway, um, he, he said, if you, if you could just sum it up in, in one sentence, and there was this long pause in the auditorium, and it created quite an amount of anxiety and stress of the organizers that maybe they felt like it was a trifling question because there were those that were trying to stump him and those kinds of things. And, and we're told that this is the answer that Mr. Barth gave. After quite a long time, he turned toward the student and he succinctly replied, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. That was it. It's sort of, uh, it's so simple, but yet it's so profound to us that we are loved. Jesus loves me. I want to put up a quote by a gentleman named Brennan Manning. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. It's quite a statement. And I think it's a difficult statement in a world where love is abused. What the world needs now is love sweet love. I, um, I was thinking, I couldn't help but think, you know, the era that that song was written in. My brother pastored up until one year ago now. He pastored just a couple kilometers down the road from the site of Woodstock, that crazy uh, hippie love fest of the 60s that took place, that, that was known for so much debauchery and, and all the kinds of stuff that went with it. The confusion in our world about love. And uh, for us to come to an awareness of God's, the depth of love, He did not have to. He did not have to. Um, Tom, you didn't have to help Precious. I, I, don't know where to, I don't know where she would have gone. I don't know what she would have done. God put you there. He put you there for that time. Where would we have been? Because there was no other way. I mean, that the whole of the Bible, it, it helps us begin, it paints the picture for us of the futility, the desperation, the situation that we have found ourselves in, that we got nothing. We can't do it. We can't reach out to God. We can't be good enough. We can't make ourselves good. He just loved us and made a way for us. And if it hadn't been, we wouldn't have had. 
And so this is so fundamental to our faith on this fourth Sunday of Advent. We're faced with the love of God, and of course we think of it in terms of the incarnation of Christ. For unto you a child is born, a son is given. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so this, this seems basic, but it's something that our spirit has to wrestle with. It's fundamental. When we are loved, when we experience love, when we begin to discern its depth, then we can learn what it really means to love, or it sets us free to love and to be loved, to love and to be loved. There are two commandments that Jesus gave. Um, he was asked, well, you know, what are the two greatest commandments? And so he said, these are the greatest. Love the Lord your God, of course, all your soul, strength, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we think of that as a two, two, it is two, but inferred, there's a third stream. It's, it's inferred, and it's God's love for us. So the two commandments summed up for us um, were love God and love your neighbor. But the inference is God loved you, so love God and love your neighbor. John sums it up for us. Um, so in, in 1 John 4.19, the first part of that, we love because. So we just stop there. You know, it's like uh, I, I caught a, uh, I went to my dad's, house there and AFV, AFV, uh, America's Funniest Videos, right? It was on reruns. And, uh, and they have these moments where they'll show a video and then they'll stop it and you have three or four choices, what happens next? <laughs> you ever see that? And it's quite hilarious. Well, in this verse, if we were to do that, we love because, okay, well, we love because, wow, because humans are just so full of love. That's why they love, you know. Uh, because it's innate in us, right? Or, or we, we could come up with all these answers. And here's, here's what uh, John does. Let's finish it. We love because. Here's why we love. Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We can love because we are loved. I can love God and love others because he loved me. The Apostle Paul knew about the importance of this. He knew how vital this was because there was no maturity. Uh, Dwayne read the, and Leslie read the Advent Scriptures Day, that, that Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And the greatest of these is love. Without love, what are you? And, and Paul understood that without love, there is no fullness of Christ. There is no maturity. There's no first base and there's no last base because it is the context of the gospel. And so this is it. Ephesians 3.17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in what? Love. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. As I come just sort of, sort of to a runway here. I was reading this week about uh, Pierre Amadiar. He is the, uh, the founder of eBay. He started it as a hobby in 1995 in San Jose, California. Uh, he saw a need in the marketplace for people to sell things. By 2019, it was a multi-billion dollar business. O operations in 32 countries of the world well over 10,000 employees. Early on, uh, Pierre, he, he posted a set of, of core values. And in fact, one of those or some of those are embedded in the whole eBay process. There was a, a feedback forum when you buy or you sell. And in that feedback, basically it rates the honesty and reliability in the selling and the buying process. And so you have that constant thing. That it was a core value. He had five core values that he operated uh, the company under. And, and his five values were this. People are basically good. Everyone has something to contribute. An honest, open environment can bring out the best in people. Recognize and respect that everyone is an individual and treat others the way that you want to be treated. 
and those were his, his values. But the point that, that stood out to me is not so much what those values were and what he chose them to be. It's how much they affected his business and how much they affected his life. That, that those values, they became a sort of a foundational point, a launch pad that already made a lot of the decisions that needed to be made. The value system puts in place a lot of the decisions before you get to the rest of the decisions. So let me give you a basic definition. You have it on the sheet as well. Values are the basic and fundamental beliefs that guide our motivation, that, that guide or motivate attitudes and actions. That's what values are. They're the fundamental belief that guides or motivates our attitudes and our actions. And so the most fundamental belief in our faith is this. God is love. It's the most fundamental that he so loved. It's why he gave. And it changes everything. This belief, therefore, is arguably the most under fire of all beliefs. The nature of God comes under constant attack. It comes in the spiritual realm, right from the very beginning, where the, the serpent said to the, to the woman, did God really say? God is withholding inference. God is withholding from you. He's not good. In a human, humanistic society, humanism, we are our own God. We are the masters of our destiny. Uh, love is therefore a human invention. And yet, John, he understood that <laughs> we love because he loved. We love because we bear the image of God and he has poured and lavished his love upon us and it sets us free to be selfless when fear wants to pull, pull in, batten down the hatches of life. Fear the opposite of love, it wants us to just sort of protect and be our own and, and do our own. How do we be selfless if it were not for God? And then, of course, our own unbelief, the fight inside. Uh, those that make it in the world are those that somehow found their way to be loved. And we come from backgrounds and we come from abuses. They've got to be healed on the cross. That's why Jesus came to bring healing so that we would know we are loved. You may not have had that love that was given in those early days of your life or even now you question whether you know that God loves the world but you're pretty sure you might be the exception. And that's a lie straight out of hell. He loves you. You're, you he created you. God is love. It, let, it, it needs to define us. It defines us. It determines our actions, how we interact with others, how we spend our time, what we say and what we don't say, what we don't say in our homes and do say in our homes and our relationships and our church and our community. Knowing we are loved, it becomes the anchor point. And, and of course, in my message, I'm thinking about Advent, but I'm thinking about the beginning of a new year because they're sort of mixed together for us here. We're coming to that new year. What would my life be like if I live with a, a greater intentionality, a greater awareness of this value that I am loved and therefore I can love? I am loved and therefore I can love. A basic understanding of God's goodness. What will I be known for? Living out the value of God's love. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be in love, to live our lives with a greater intentionality that we are loved, not just as a principle, but as a specific, not just objectively, but subjectively, that you died for my sins. You gave so that Bert and so that 
whatever other name we insert there here in this auditorium today. You died so that we could be with you. It blows our minds. And God, I admit that we're sort of far sometimes from comprehending it because there's so many voices from without and within, so many lies that the enemy attaches. And those lies need to be exposed to the spotlight of truth of your Holy Spirit. We are loved. You love us. Thank you, God, for the manger. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you that you gave, that you came into our world, our smelly world, and you were willing to be with us like Tom described, he and Cheryl, being with the people. Them being that incarnate Christ to those that they serve. And uh, God, we just stand in awe of you today. So as we think of Christmas and as we think of a new year, would you bind to our hearts, God, this intentionality, this awareness, this value system, a value system of love that you call us to love. May it guide our conversations. May it change our associations. Uh, may it change the way we go to school and the way we go to work and the way we go to church and the way we wake up in the morning and the way we put our head on the pillow at night. God, that as we are able to receive your love, that it would be like a flow channel out of us to love and to come alongside so, God, we really need you to take us to the deeper depths. These things we pray in Jesus' name.